Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, as promised, Gail and I are going to be going over some series for everyone to get into, you know, if you have the time or the bandwidth to do a deep dive, we figured that this is a good time to catch up on some series. Now, I have to admit, as we talk about what we've been reading, I have been bouncing around from book to book because I don't know what it is. I just haven't been really able to settle into any books lately. I don't know why, but I finally found a good one. So I'm excited about that. Oh, good. All right. Well, and I am finding the exact same thing. I had been reading a book for the last few days, and then today I just completely randomly picked up a different one. So I think we are incredibly distracted. I have no attention span. Mm -hmm. So I just read a little bit of this, and I'm fine with it for a while, and then I get a little bored, and I read something else. And I don't think it's the fault of the books. I think you're right. For the most part. Yeah, I think you're I mean, I am trying to read The Other Bennett Sister, and I think that that's kind of snoozeworthy to start. (laughs) unfortunately. Well, so that Um, sounds like that is the fault of the book. Yeah, I think it is. It's supposed to be about Mary, but it's really adhering so closely to Pride and Prejudice, but just giving us a little bit of insight about, you know, why Mary is such a prig or she's so studious or her approach to the piano. And it's just kind of like, okay. (laughs) How's the uh, writing style? Is it written like the original? It strikes the halfway balance. It's not completely modern, but it, it's not quite as quaint, I guess I would say, as the original. Mm-hmm. We're talking about The Other Bennett Sister by Janice Hadlow. And Gail and I had had it on a list. And I guess I took the bait to start reading it because it seemed like it would be the perfect thing to just curl up into a good Pride and Prejudice retelling. And it's not that it's badly written. I'm just, it's just Mary's boring. How does it compare to Mary B? I just feel like Mary B got much more quickly to the heart of what Mary's story was going to be. And this I'm a hundred pages in and Jane has just come back to her stay with Bingley. And, you know, they don't go into that. They just, you know, explain why Mary does not think it was a good idea for Jane to have gone and she gets into a little bit of a tiff with Elizabeth. So it's moving very slowly. Like, I mean, I'm all for the recap of Pride and Prejudice a little bit and to show us how Mary fits into it. But I think it's just moving so incrementally. Like by, I'm probably at 112 pages and I just feel like I should be more firmly into Mary's story and what Mary's going to do. But she's still sitting around just kind of having these like weird talks with Charlotte, you know, who in the book is Lizzie's best friend. And and I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm reading something else right now that's kind of really engrossing. So I'm hoping that as I read a couple of chapters that it will get into Mary's story. Like she's already met someone that, that it looked like was kind of promising, but that didn't work out. So I'm hoping that once we get past this setup that we will really get to see Mary get more interesting and come out into her own. But right now it's just sort of like explaining how Mary was viewed in Pride and Prejudice, like from her point of view, but it's still, it's, it's moving so slow. Okay. What are you reading? Okay. Well, I started an audio book that is keeping my attention. It is called The Office and it is the oral history of the beloved television program, The Office, is written by somebody named Andy Green. It is told from the perspective of the cast, the writers, the crew, all the people who were there from the beginning. I think I'm now up through season two. And it's great. If you love The Office, then I highly recommend it. Lots of kind of context behind the scenes, information about casting, about storylines. It's just really fun. And so I've been listening to that on audio. I'm not commuting anymore, of course, but I listen when I walk the dog or I listen while I'm cooking or when I have a moment to myself, which is rare. And (laughs) it's been fine. So I'm a couple of hours into that. Maybe I'm like a quarter of the way through that. That's been holding my attention. I started a book called The Authenticity Project by Claire Pooley. And I don't know. I have that on my list. How is that? Yeah, it's... It was on the cusp because I was like, 
this kind of looks interesting, but at the same time, uh, there was something about it that made me hesitant. Yeah. I, I'm not, I haven't quite gotten the handle of it yet. And I, I'm maybe like 70 pages in so far. It's about this guy who writes in a notebook, this confessional about his life and how he is an artist who used to have lots of acclaim and fans and fame. And now he's old and his wife is dead and he's living this very lonely life. And he kind of confesses this all in this notebook and he leaves it in a cafe And the cafe owner finds the notebook and opens it and reads it. And after a little while, put her own story down, right? Her own confessional in there. So the story rotates among these characters. There's the old man, the cafe owner. Then there's this guy who's kind of like a an alcoholic who's trying to turn his life around. And they write in the book, and the and the chapters rotate among their storylines. And of course, they cross. And what I was hoping is that it was going to be kind of these very realistic pictures of these people's lives. And I I didn't mind that it was going to be kind of dark, but what I'm worried it's going to turn into is one of those like books about offbeat characters who save themselves through their connections to each other. You know what I mean? Like sort of quirky. Yeah. I think that's why I tried to, it was a little too twee for me. It was a little too like, Oh, it's going to be cute. They're all going to write into this notebook and, and sort of uh, yeah. save each other. That's right. what I'm was trying to avoid because I'm not in the mood for that. And that's what I'm a little worried it's turning into, but I'm going to give it a little more time. So right. I'll keep at it. But then today I wanted to read, but I didn't want to read that. So I picked up a book that's actually going to be my in real life book club book for April called 21 Truths About Love by Matthew Dix. And I've already really liked this. I mean, I've read maybe like about sitting next to me here. I've read like 29 pages so far. It's a book told entirely in lists. So it's about this guy who's married to a woman who used to be married to someone else, but he died. So now he's married to her and he doesn't feel like he's worthy of her. He's opened a bookstore. The bookstore is losing money, but he hasn't told her that their like financial situation is very dire and she really wants to get pregnant. So he writes all these funny lists, like ways I can avoid getting her pregnant or lists of expenses like you sort of get these glimpses into his mind and what he's thinking about by these lists that he writes. So A, it goes really fast because it's told in list form. So it's not a lot of like long paragraphs. And it's just so far, I like it. It's kind of honest and funny and poignant too. So, so far, so good. Maybe this one will allow me to get, you know, fully engage with it. I'll report back next time about authenticity. I kind of considered maybe DNFing it, but I decided I'd just give it a little more time before I did. That's something I'm curious about. I wonder if people who normally don't DNF books like you are considering DNFing it. I wonder if the pandemic is providing a higher number of DNFs, like can't focus, can't whatever. I mean, I I think that there will be several books like, you know, I was reading this article talking about how everyone's trying to be productive and everyone should just stop trying to be productive. And like, I'm Mm -hmm. trying to get books read or trying to get through my TBR pile. So I decided that I was just going to be a lot easier on myself in terms of if something just isn't interesting right now, it might not be the book, you know, after things kind of slide back to normal, uh, you know, I'm sure I'll get back to them and pick them up. But I think I'm doing so much better with plot driven, something that's just so interesting and that's going to make me want to turn the pages a little bit more. So maybe I will find myself reading more genre fiction or more historical fiction, I think has things that go on, but the literary fiction, the kind of, you know, slow, thoughtful, not too much plot, lots of whatever is just not getting it right now. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone's got their own sort of comfort reading genre, whether it might be plot driven, maybe it's nonfiction, maybe it's memoir, whatever it is. And maybe people will just gravitate towards that. So I think right. to answer your question, it won't be a formal DNF, but it might be a just set aside type thing. Right. Set aside for less complicated times. Yeah, I feel like I did after my accident. My concentration was just you know completely shot for the same reasons, just so much weighing on my mind or you know just this nonspecific, can't really focus. I feel so detached, right? Because... I hear a lot more sirens in the city because the city is so quiet. And I think there is a firehouse a couple of blocks away from me. And there's also a hospital not too far away from me. So I feel like I 
hear more sirens and you know there's no one really on the street like you have to use your devices to get in touch with people or even see anyone else so it's like this disconnection where I feel like if I'm not constantly refreshing the news, like I'm so cut off and don't know anything. Cause I think before you over, you know, you would walk past a newsstand and you would see a headline or you would be on the train and overhear a conversation or things would be going on at work or you would meet up with your friends and they had other things going on that they need to talk about. But all of us are just so isolated that I, I don't know. It's just so strange. We're all very much in our own heads. So the book that I'm reading that I just read 60 pages of actually before I hopped on this call so that we could do this podcast is this book called Remembrance by Rita Woods. And I think I had mentioned it back on a show maybe in January or February, either it was like our winter preview, which reminds me that we forgot to do a spring preview. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) we did a, a, yeah, we did a March and an April. We did March and April, but we usually do a wider view, which allows us to get more books in, but whatever. So many things have changed and we haven't done a book club in forever. <laughs> so. I mean, I think it's going to be really hard for us to agree on a book that grabs right. both of us. Right. Yeah. I was looking at the list that we had originally <laughs> scheduled and I was thinking at yeah, this whole thing, book club is scrapped for a moment while we mm-hmm. try to figure some things out. But It's really good. It starts out with this old woman who's in a nursing home. No one knows where she came from or how she got there. And there's this nurse who experiences a connection with her. So she goes in one evening and she is trying to take care of the woman who is very strange and everyone else avoids when suddenly she gets this shock. And then it just, it disappears into, you know, like we're suddenly in a different time. So it's about these four women who live in different times. One time period is in the 1850s in the United States, I guess right on the eve of the Civil War, where this young slave woman has been promised that she will be set free on her 18th birthday, but circumstances change. And she's sold right before, like two months before she turns 18. And then one other time period is in the late 1700s in Haiti. And then the other time period, I think, is modern day Ohio. So this has really sucked me in, in terms of the different time period and what's happening with these women. There's sort of a supernatural time travel element to it. So maybe I will have finished reading it and I can discuss it again when we talk about books with time, but it's just really got me into the story and wanting to know like how these women are connected and what's going to happen in their lives. So that so far has been a winner. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it's really good. That's one of those like, oh, I could see myself wanting to take time to go find it and, and, and read another however many pages I can. So we were talking about this the other day that we're in totally opposite situations. Like I'm sheltered alone and you are with your family. Yeah. So you so, have lots and lots of alone time and I have no alone time. Right. So how are you finding your, like, are you hiding in the bathroom or, Uh, I mean, I know that you have space to be alone, but I'm assuming people seek you out. Yes. It's rare that I find time alone. So sometimes I wake up before everybody else and that gives me a little time to read or catch up on work or read the paper or something. So I have a little time in the morning and then usually I'm kind of going all day working. So I'm on calls back to back. And when I'm not on calls, I'm trying to do the work that I have to do in between the calls and then also supervise what's going on at home with my seven-year-old or make sure that my teenagers have had lunch. So there's just lots of like constant, you know, distractions and competing things that are sort of trying to suck me away from whatever it is that I'm doing. And to be honest, I'm not really usually alone until like 1130 at night, you know, when I finally, everyone's kind of thinking about going to bed and we're all kind of winding down. So it's not terribly different from how life was before, because before the same thing, I would go to work and come home. So it's not like things have changed that drastically, but I do find that it's hard to find time by myself. Like just today, I, it's a nice day here. I went outside and we have a porch swing on the front porch and I just sat on the the porch swing for half an hour and read my book. And that's really rare that I have time to do that. But I did. My son was occupied FaceTiming with a friend and I just was like, I got to just grab this. So I don't know. I'm trying to be a little selfish with that and just like take those chances when I can. And even if that means like my daughters and my husband are watching something at night, I might just kind of 
back out of that and go upstairs and just have some decompression time for me. So, you know, walking the dog, I get that. And then like today I went for a run and that helped to kind of got my mind engaged elsewhere. I put on some good music and just remember different times, I guess, but it's, it's challenging. So, you know, I have that issue. You have the opposite problem, which is you are facing lots and lots of time alone. How are you getting through that? Well, (laughs) the thing about me is I'm an introvert and people don't believe that because I'm social, but I am a you know, a social person who needs lots of time to decompress from being social. So I don't feel like it's not weighing on me yet. You know, I think sometimes I get just a little itchy in terms of having options limited, but I'm not bored, but I also just don't have a lot of focus. (laughs) Do you feel lonely or do you have enough interaction going with friends? And no, I don't feel, yeah, no, I don't feel lonely. Like my book club, we did a book club. I think last night I was supposed to do some kind of call with friends that I ended up not doing by choice because I don't know, I just wasn't feeling up to it. So, but yeah, so I'm on the phone with friends. I'm on calls at work. Like, I feel like every team or every group that I work with on a consistent basis is having virtual happy hours and mm-hmm. stuff. So it's so strange because I feel like in, in some senses, I'm just as busy in terms of having different groups of friends. I'm doing calls with work people now that, you know, that I probably normally would not hang out with. We're on these happy hour calls. I don't know. It's just, it's just very weird. I think that work for whatever reason, like maybe because I don't have anything else to do, I'm able to focus on, but I feel like personal things that I might like to do, that's when I have much less focus. And I think it's because there are no real delineations with time. Like there's almost no, there's no deadline, you know, like before, if I really wanted to do something, I was going to be leaving or just trying to fit something in, I would have to, okay, I need to sit down and do these things. But, you know, there is not that, or, you know, when people ask you to to do a call on the weekend, you know, for me, because I don't have as many distractions in terms of other people. And it's like, oh, well, what time do you want to do this? Is this good? It's just like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Not going to be anywhere. Yeah. It's hard to say no to stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Unless, yeah, sometimes it's just like, yeah, I don't know, maybe sleeping by then. Sometimes we're, I'm trying to get like one of my friends is in Hong Kong. So the time difference you know, just finding a time when both of us want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Because 9 p.m. for me is 9 a.m. for her. And, you know, does she really want to hop up at 9 a.m.? So can we do 10? And 10, right. 30, 11, I'm just kind of like done. Yeah, um, it's hard. Do we so, have any book news to cover? I wanted to talk about Book of the Month because you had some okay. observations about what Book of the Month, some of their policies are changing for coronavirus. Sure. Yeah. So you said that they are, books are taking a little long to be shipped, which is understandable. And that they're trying to be patient with people who maybe can't afford their subscription. I think you mentioned, I didn't get the email that you said that you got. Really? Yeah. Okay. So I never seem to get their emails. Siobhan, who was on our show last year, she sent a note at the beginning of, I think it must've been the end of March, right? When it was time to make April book picks. So she said that their team has been working remotely for almost a month. Their shipping center has implemented safety measures to protect their workers. They're limiting the number of titles available this month to ease the burden on the team. So I think with Book of the Month is usually you are able to either pick from their the different months. Like you could, if you don't want whatever books that they're offering for the month, you can go back and pick a title from any of the other months that they still have stock available. And sometimes they have like these curated lists or special lists or classic books that they have brought back that you can order. So I think that they're probably not doing that as much. I did see that they had their five picks available, which you can, you know, you can pick that book, but I don't think that they're opening it up to much beyond that for the time being. And Yes, books will take a few more days to arrive just because they are taking more precautions to make things safe in their warehouse for people. And she said that if you've lost your job as a result of the health crisis and can no longer pay for your subscription, please email us. And she says, we'll do our best to help. So that's really nice. What did you pick for April? 
So I picked Valentine, which, oh my God, the reviews of this book are insane. And it just sounds really good. It sounds intense and dark, which maybe isn't what everyone's in the mood for right now, but I couldn't resist it with those reviews. I could probably get into a good, intense, dark. Yeah. Are you still on pause with Book of the Month? I think Valentine brought me out of it. Oh, good. So you ordered that? Yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Because we both just collect Book of the Month books and don't read them. No, no, no. I read one. Oh, yes. Um, You did read one. Yeah. I read one when I bought by Brian Washington. That was a Book of the Month book. Right. I've been trying. I also want to read... The Girl Who Talked Too Loud or something? The Girl with a Louding Voice. Oh, The Girl with a Louding Voice. I want to read that too. I have that. I did read one. I read the Lily King book, Writers and Lovers. You got that from Book of the Month mm-hmm. too? Yep. Oh, so you're doing, so two in the last two months, pretty good. Well, I haven't read Valentine yet. <laughs> I just want to read Valentine. Oh, right. That's right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. If we right. find that we're getting into that, maybe we'll add it to our slate of, you know. Yeah. I think the book club is going to have to be based on mood reading and then it's going to have to be, we'll have to wait for our moods to coincide. Right. And then I think you had sent me an article and I know I saw an article in the New York Times about how people are, I think it was in the Washington Post and it was also in the New York Times about how a lot of the book releases are being pushed back to the fall. Yep. Because no one wants to compete with coronavirus. Of course, that will result in its own I guess, problematic nature when you have so many books. I mean, fall is usually reserved for big books anyway. And to just be pushing books back, things will get crowded. And there's just so much uncertainty. You know, who knows who will be buying what then? And and there's just so much conflicting guidance or, I guess, hypotheses on whether we will even be back fully by then. And, you know, is coronavirus seasonal? In which case, you know, as mm-hmm. the temperature gets colder we could be in for round two so mm-hmm. right so it much will be interesting right so much uncertainty it'll be interesting to see what plays out and i guess this whole javits thing which is crazy to me is still playing out because who even knows if javits will be available by july yeah i can't imagine they're going to keep it on there i don't i mean they're stupid not to cancel it right now especially if all of the major publishers are pulled out well, I don't know yeah, what they're holding I, on i don't for. understand why they don't want the goodwill of saying yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I just don't know. No one's going to want to go. All the publishers have pulled out. The Javits Center is a coronavirus hospital at this point. All right. I saw a picture of it today in the paper and it had like, I could see the the little, you know, some of the, the stuff on the outside. There's like a, is it a Hudson News? I don't know what it is. The little shops that are kind of there full time. There's a, a FedEx and a Starbucks and they, it just everything was all shuttered up. But I was like, God, that place is so familiar to me. And yet looking at this picture, it was a completely different building. Right. Now you know that how we're living our Corona lives, I guess. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm sure they're and, not too different from a lot of people listening. Right. Yeah. So has, has there been anything that's been a bright spot for you in terms of what you've been reading or, te- well, not reading because we just discussed that, but I guess TV or any calming really, routine or yeah, something delicious really no, I mean, I'm doing a lot of cooking. I wouldn't say any of it's delicious. I did make bread the other day for the first time without a bread maker. I made focaccia. That turned out okay. I'm, hmm, I'm is that kind really, of easy? Yeah, it was super easy. I thankfully have some yeast in the house because I guess- I was about to say, does it require yeast? yeast? It does. <laughs> and I guess you can't find that anywhere, but I happen to have some in the house from doing bread machine bread. You know, I haven't gotten really into any TV shows. I watched an excellent movie the other night called Moneyball, which I somehow missed when it came out and- yes. It's a baseball movie and it's about the GM of the Oakland A's who hires this young guy who takes a very different approach to scouting and filling out a roster. It's all based on analytics and numbers rather than, you know, the sort of traditional ways that scouts evaluate the value that a player brings to a team. And it's Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill and it was really good. So I'm, you know, watching some movies with my son and that's been really fun. Another movie that we watched, which was surprisingly excellent, is The Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is, I guess it's like stop motion animation, but it is Wes Anderson. So it has kind of a, you know, that Wes Anderson quirkiness to it. I don't usually love Wes Anderson movies, but that one is hilarious. And Fantastic Mr. Fox is a Raoul Dahl children's book and it's dark and they keep the darkness in the movie, but it's very funny. And the voices are like George Clooney and Meryl Streep and Owen Wilson. And it was, it was very funny. 
So those have been some highlights of this time. We've been playing some games at home with my kids. We play a lot of celebrity and that's been fun. So, you know, we're, we're getting through the days. We bought a trampoline. That helps too. Ooh. Yeah. How about <laughs> you? Any supposed good... to be really good for you. Yeah. I don't, haven't been spending as much time on it, but my son goes on it a lot. Maybe I should make a whole workout around it. Yeah, you should. They're supposed to be really good for you. My mom was looking into getting one. I couldn't get one at the time because that was the last thing my knee needed. I, I may be at the point now that I could jump on a trampoline. I would have to see. Mm-hmm. Are you watching any good TV? I'm watching Little Fires Everywhere, which is so different from the book. Different it enough that so, I should try it? So many changes. I think so. I think that it, because they've made Carrie Washington, a, they've made that an African-American family, her and her daughter. I think that some of the privilege issues and housing issues and issues around belonging are heightened. And they, I think that they're definitely playing up and amplifying those in a way that it was not in the book. I have to see more. I watched the first three episodes and there are some things that they have just made so dramatic as to be unbelievable for me. That mm-hmm. has kind of slowed my watching the episodes, but I'm waiting for my mom to finish the book so that we can do some kind of simultaneous, you know, press play because we mm-hmm. have started watching it together and trying to synchronize our viewing. Mm-hmm. And I'm waiting for her to finish the book because the changes were so radical. I, I said to her, I was like, well, I want you to finish the book so that we can talk about it. And I think she's, she told me that she's probably going to finish, you know, within the next few days and then we'll get back into watching it. I'm not sure if I'm going to like the series as much as I like the book, but you didn't like the book as much. So you might, I think you have nothing to lose by watching a few episodes. Okay. Yeah. I started watching this show called I'm Sorry which is on Netflix and it's about a TV sitcom writer who lives in LA and it's not terribly deep or dark. It's funny and a bit raunchy at times and it's fine. It's like a half an hour show. And I kind of think I need something a little more engrossing. Right. I was thinking of maybe doing all of Kittredge after preparing the list for today's show. And I never saw that when it aired and I thought that I could maybe do that one. I think that our next show should be book to movie or series adaptations for people who can't focus on a book right now. I mean, I'm one of them. No, that's a good idea. So that's next show. I like that. All right. So let's get to our series books. Okay. All right. So I have four different series and some of them I've read more of the series than others, but, and some of them we've mentioned before on the show. I'll start with the first one, which is probably the best known of these. And it is Me Before You, After You, and Still Me, all by Jojo Moyes. And this one, I have read all three. And I believe you have read all three of these two. I have. So Me Before You is a story about Louisa, who becomes a home aide to a man who is in a wheelchair. He's paraplegic after an accident. And he had led this very high-flying life. He was a banker. He did a lot of extreme sports. He was in great shape. He's very wealthy. His name is Will Trainer, And Will is had this accident and his life has completely changed. And Louisa becomes his aide and their relationship develops in a very natural and very realistic way to the point where they become kind of emotionally involved. And At the end of the book, Will has to make a decision about whether he wants to take his own life or not to take his own life. And it's a very well-written book. It's very realistic. There are funny elements to it. There are very sad elements to it. And it's just, I think, also a page turner. Like, it's a great book to just kind of get engrossed in. So the second two books, After You and Still Me, revolve around Louisa. And in the second one, she's still living in England. In the third one, she has moved to New York. And again, I don't want to give away too much. Certainly, I don't want to give away too much about what happens in book one. But you follow her job, her social life. She's a very compelling person. She has flaws. She's not perfect. She does some silly, stupid things at times. So she's a very fundamentally good person. And you're rooting for her the whole time. So Jojo Moyes, very readable books, very engaging. I do recommend if you see me before you watch the movie after you've read the book, because the movie is really good. 
And I think these would be really good options to pick up right now. All right. So I, on my lighthearted show, I didn't even think about the fact that I read these, but for the series, I just remember how much I loved reading the Shopaholic series by Sophie Kinsella. I haven't read a lot of her more recent books. Like I think I tried to read a couple, wasn't able to really get into them. But the Shopaholic series, the first of the books starts off very, I mean, they're just charming books. They're such brain candy. They kind of remind me a little bit of the Bridget Jones books. The heroine's name is Becky Bloomwood. She lives in London. She lives in a trendy neighborhood in London, but she can't afford the lifestyle that she has. She's big into fashion, big shopper, you know, loves that quality lifestyle, but she's always finding herself in financial trouble. So it's all about how she kind of is trying to find the balance in that. She gets involved with, uh, you know, there's a gentleman that she falls for. And as a result of, I guess, her shopping, sometimes their relationship is in jeopardy. I didn't have the patience to read more than, I think I read the first three. And then after that, I think it just kind of got a little bit ridiculous. So the first was Confessions of a Shopaholic. The second in the book is Shopaholic Takes Manhattan. And then book three is Shopaholic Ties the Knot. So after that, I was pretty much out, but I think that they're entertaining and probably have held up reasonably well. I would, even though, let me see, when did these books first start coming out? They were first published in 2000. So, you know, I don't think the internet was as prevalent and we weren't as phone heavy, but we definitely had those tools available. There's at least a mention of email. (laughs) It's always a good sign if there's some sort of email. Okay. So my next series, it's actually only two books in this series. It's not more than that. The first one is Olive Kittredge, which was written by Elizabeth Stroud in 2008. And she updated Olive Kittredge with Olive again in 2019. And I have not yet read Olive again. I want to, but I haven't. But Olive, the first one, is a collection of stories that take place in a small town in Maine. And they all tangentially revolve around this woman, Olive Kittredge, who's sort of this cranky older woman who's not very friendly, but has a good side to her. And the book is about, is is told through these different characters who all kind of shed a little bit of perspective on Olive. This book won the Pulitzer, I believe. And Elizabeth Strout wrote Olive again last year. And it revisits Olive later in her life where I think she has become in some ways a changed person or a different person. And the question is, you know, in what ways has she changed? So at some point, I'd like to either reread Olive Kittredge, maybe I'd think about watching the movie or watching the series, and then I'd like to pick up Olive again. But I think if you are a fan of Olive or if you've never read Olive, these might be two good ones to read in tandem right now. I think also the fact that they are more linked stories than they are a continuous narrative might be easier for people who can't digest huge amounts of a book at one time right now, but who want to, you know, read one chapter before they go to bed or they want to, you know, they want to read a chapter and then put it down and pick it up a week later. This might lend itself well to that. Hmm. That's a good pitch for it. That perked me up. (laughs) You never read the first one, right? No, I haven't read any. I don't know if I've read any Elizabeth Stroud. Yeah, I like her. I didn't love My Name is Lucy Barton and I wouldn't recommend starting with that one, but Olive and Olive again, I thought were pretty good. All right. So my next series also has a television companion on sci-fi. It's the Magician series by Lev Grossman. I think I cannot speak to it because I have not read Harry Potter. And actually I was texting with a friend the other day and she's in book of the month too. And so we do swap sometimes and we're always talking about books we've read and making recommendations. And so when she heard that I had not read Harry Potter, she said that I have to read Harry Potter. She People have been recommending. I think that's our book in common that everyone has read that you and I have not read. Yeah, I have not. A, and we were pretty comfortable with the fact that we had not read it. <laughs> <laughs> but she's just like, you have to read it. So anyway, Once Upon a Time when these books came out, that was the comparison. They were like the grown-up Harry Potter series when this came out in 2009. So I can't speak to that at all, but it is a coming-of-age story, basically. It's about a young man who is kind of lost and has a dreary life as a senior. He really loves fantasy novels and then 
somehow by hook or crook, he gets accepted into this magical school that no one has ever heard of. And he goes off and he attends this college. He meets a bunch of, I guess, his classmates or whatever. They work on their magic. And during the first book, a lot of, I guess, tales or historical aspects of the school come up. And there is this other world that is hinted at. And as it turns out, the world is not as fake as, or it's just not, I guess, as mythological as people would have believed it actually exists. So this book is all about Quentin and his group of friends as they, I guess, come into their own magically and come into their own as people and their interaction with this other world and and what meaning that has on their lives in the real world. So that's the Magician series. There are three books in the series. I read the first two. I thought the first book was good. I didn't love it, but I thought it was good. And it made me, I guess the setup for the next book was what really got me going. I read The Magician King, which I really liked a lot. And then I just have not gotten around to reading The Magician's Land again, but I would read it. So I know nothing about this series. It's very interesting. Well, it's fantasy. Yeah. I think it it just just whizzed right over. It's literary writing. Okay. All right. My next one is the series by Jane Smiley, consisting of Early Warning, Some Luck, and Golden Age. And this is a series that starts in the early 1900s and follows a family from Iowa, a farm family from Iowa, and each chapter represents a different year. So the first book covers 33 years, and the next book covers 33, and the last one covers 33, or maybe one of them covers 34, so we get to 100. And it's all about this family, and each chapter she takes a different perspective of a different person. And certainly, as we get later into the later generations, you've got you know lots of people to pick from because you've got several generations and offshoots of the family. And she handles American history through that time through the personal prisms of this family. And I just adored this series. She may have written them all at one time, but they were released like one or two years apart. So I read them. You know, read the first one, waited a while, read the second one when it came out. And I just love these books. I love Jane Smiley's writing. And I just thought this was such an interesting series. I love how she changed perspectives. She teased out the stories of this whole family through different perspectives so that you might hear something about one character, but told rather tangentially through a different character. And then you might not even go back to that first character for a couple of chapters because she was moving around so much. So this is a bit of a commitment. It's not like it's heavy or difficult reading. It's just a commitment because it's three books and it's you have to keep track of it. and You've got to remember what's going on. But I just thought it was very, very fulfilling. So if that sounds like something to get lost in right now, that might be a good pick. And I think too, like, you know, we're in the middle of this crisis right now and it's kind of hard to imagine things will ever go back to normal or to go back to a different way. And I like that this book might offer some perspective of lots of different things we've gone through in history that they do end and things do change. And, you know, this is a very, very difficult thing to be living through right now, but it is one thing and we will go, you know, that's kind of how we felt after 9-11. It felt like we were never going to emerge from that fog and we did. And I'm not saying we didn't emerge unchanged. We did certainly change in many ways as a society, but I don't know, for some needed perspective, I think that this these books would provide that perspective. All right. My next series, I just read this book by Jasmine Ward and it's part of a series like salvage the bones is the first book in the series about these teenagers or this young woman who is pregnant. She lives on the Gulf of Mexico in Mississippi. So sing unburied sing is the book that I just listened to on audio, which I thought was excellent. So that's the second book in the series. But I think as a series that they're more loosely considered as these books take place in that world in Mississippi, like in the same town. I think that you might get some mention of the characters, like at the beginning of Sing Unburied Sing, there were some references that I think were to salvage the bones. So Hmm. you can read the books as a standalone and understand them. You'll just, you know, 
get these references to these characters that if you had read Salvage the Bone, then I guess you would know them more fully. But she writes, I mean, I love Sing Unburied Sing just because of the way she's able to bring life to her characters. And she has such empathy for characters that you might not necessarily think that you would understand their perspective at all. So I don't know. And she writes about a population that I think is usually underserved or forgotten as I think about you know, what is poised to take place in the South in terms of the pandemic and maybe the lack of preparedness and the poverty and I guess the racial makeups of the different states. She talks about what they go through, the hurricanes that they've suffered. She talks about a population of people that I think we normally do not read about a lot. And I love the empathy that she brings. I mean, I definitely am familiar. My family's from Alabama, so I'm definitely familiar with some of the dynamics of growing up in the South, the poverty that you can see of the communities and sometimes the lack of access they have and the fact that this is exacerbated along racial lines. I think that unfortunately, this pandemic, a lot of us are very privileged to be able to experience this from the safety of our homes and with most of our income intact. But, you know, there's a large community of people for whom things probably won't snap back at all as quickly or who may not have recovered from the last thing. So she addresses that population, not necessarily that they're going to be in the middle of a pandemic. I think the first book, Salvage the Bones, does take place like in the middle of Hurricane Katrina. And, you know, in both books, references are made to big storms that usually happen there. So, but I just love the way she, like I said, the treatment of the characters, what they're going through, everything seems so real. She writes with such empathy. And I don't know, I just came away with a much richer understanding of certain things in reading her books. I have and to they are get to ex- those books. Sing Unburied Sing is excellent. It's an excellent audiobook. If you feel like you can't read and it would be helpful to get more sucked into more of having a story told to you, then mm-hmm. it's definitely it's such a good book. All right. So my last series is very different from the one that you just covered. I picked the... Graham Simsian Rosie series. So that's the Rosie Project, the Rosie Effect, and the Rosie Result. Now, I have only read the first one, and I think you and I talked about this last week, that there are some series where you might read the first one, and then you know it's this huge blockbuster, and then people fall off between one to two, and then two to three. And I'm certainly part of the fall off in this one, because I only read the first one. But it is a book about a guy who is looking for a girlfriend and he is, or a wife, I think, and he has Asperger's and he's quite in touch with himself and knows what his sort of social limitations are and also what his kind of deal breakers are, like the things that he is seeking in a partner. And he meets this woman, Rosie, who basically meets none of his criteria, but falls in love with her anyway. And then the question, of course, is, are they going to end up together? So I will offer a little spoiler, which is, yes, they end up together because it would be strange for there to be two sequels, each with Rosie in the title, if they did not end up together. So in the second book, they are thinking about becoming parents. And in the third book, they have like a 10-year-old son. So I can't speak to The Rosie Effect or The Rosie Result, but The Rosie Project was a very fun book. I did that one on audio. I think my kids were in the car at the time. They were much, much younger, and they thought it was hilarious. It's just a quirky and funny story about quirky and funny characters and has very, very broad appeal. So I think if you want something on the lighter side that you could potentially expand to three books, then this would be a good choice. You only read the first one too, right? I didn't finish reading the first one. Oh, you didn't? Okay. So it's pretty light. You said that you read it on audio and you felt, yeah, you listened to it with your kids. So yeah, you thought that that helped in holding. I don't know. Not that it wasn't good. It just, I don't know. I put it down and it was one of those books I just never got back to. Yeah. I think I meant to. (laughs) So that's all all I've got. Do you have any more? I'm going to round out the show with Tana French, who I have talked about so much. She's an Irish writer. She writes the Dublin Murder Squad books. They are, it's a series, I believe, on stars. So if you feel like, you know, you want sort of like dark detective stories, but don't feel like reading right now, they are on stars as a series, which I was looking so forward to and have not looked at yet because... I think I started the first episode and 
I realized that they are combining the first book in the series, which is In the Woods, with the second book of the series, which is The Likeness. And I think I wanted to read them again before I watched the series. So we'll see how long that gets stalled until that happens or if I change my mind. But the way these books work is the first book starts with Cassie, Maddox, and Rob Ryan, who are detectives and their partners. And they are working on a crime that is linked to a crime that took place in Rob's past. He doesn't let anyone know that he was involved when a series of kids went missing, like back in, I guess it would have been the 80s, 80s or early 90s. And so he's now a police officer and another child goes missing, but he doesn't let on that this will affect him or his work. So he has a very close relationship with his partner. Her stories are just really detailed about, and I guess, psychological portraits of what go on with people, like the crime or whatever is going on is usually secondary in her novels. And the way they work is that each novel, like you're introduced to a detective who is probably going to be the lead in the next series. Like we didn't know this when we were starting out, you know, you get Robin and Cassie's story and you think that they're over, but then the second book is about Cassie going undercover. And then I think like the third book, it might be about their boss that they work with who they don't really like. So each one is about a different detective that you meet in the course of them investigating crime. And they're really good. So I feel like I've talked about her a bunch as I have read different books of hers over the years. She did have that standalone come out, The Witch, Witch Elm, which I think is fantastic. I don't know if it's a book that you would read right now because it definitely requires lots of attention. There's a hundred pages of little things that go on that seem like they're just real life and may not connect with the story, but they absolutely, everything is involved in her stories. So that one's really good. But this series is, is an excellent series. I loved her standalone. So looking forward to whatever it is that she does next. She has such a tremendous following of people who, you know, just wait with bated breath for her next releases. Oh yeah. So I think that's it. Should we, (laughs) I think that's it. I had on our list that we were going to, and maybe we can do this really quickly is to let people know what the bracket was. Cause I think we had said that we were going to do that on an earlier show, but since we in, uh, in deference of our namesake March Madness, which has been canceled this year, we're not going to hold our March Madness competition, but we did want to let people know because you took the time to vote and we appreciate that so much. <laughs> we want you to know what the seating would have been. And then just, I guess, maybe some general thought scale on that. Okay. Well, let's see. I created the bracket using the, you know, one seed plays number 16, two seed plays number 15, all the way down. So the first matchup, I'll just go through these matchups. Our first pick and the book that got the most votes of all of them was Ask Again Yes by Mary Beth Keene. And that was in spot number one. And spot number two, not surprising, was Becoming by Michelle Obama. So those were the top two. And Ask Again Yes was competing with a book called Adele, which I don't think got any votes. It's just that it was a book that Nicole and I had both read. And The Real Michael Swan, which was number 15, also a book that you and I read for an online book club for the Readerly Report. Then we have the next two was number three. So wait, number Becoming f- was going to go up against uh, The Real Michael Swan. Yeah. I mean, that's wow. how it is. Those early brackets are very lopsided. Right. So, right. you know, I'm sure, you know, there might have been some upsets, but that was going to be the matchup right there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, when you get to the eights versus nines, it's a lot less easy to predict what the results would have been. Daisy Jones in the six was ranked number three. And number four was Where the Crawdads Sing. So Daisy Jones in the six was going to go up against The Travelers, which you and I both read. And that would have, uh, been, a t- that would have been an interesting matchup. Yeah. That would have been interesting. I mean, we didn't really, in the end, finalize what our criteria would have been. So that would have been an interesting conversation. Right. And Where the Crawdads Sing would have gone up against Trust Exercise. Two extremely different books. (laughs) And then we have number five, Such a Fun Age, going up against Joanne Ramos's The Farm. Ooh. Yep. And number six was The Nickel Boys up against Golden Child. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would have been tough. That would have been tough. 
And then that leaves us with just that middle range. So seven, eight, nine, and 10. So seven is a woman is no man going up against the ninth house, which it turns out I never read. But at the time that we put this bracket together, I was still trying to get through it. And three women, number eight versus the body in question, number nine, two completely different books. So that was the bracket right there. And we can make all kinds of predictions about how we think this would have ended up. Who do you think would have won in the end of this? I don't know. I mean, based on what it would have really depended on what our criteria was. I mean, yeah, based on timeliness, what I think is one that we had last year, meaning what was likely to stand the test of time. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I really wonder about, because I like the travelers a lot more than you. And what was that going up against? Daisy Jones. Is going up against Daisy Jones. Yeah, that would have been an interesting conversation. Like I said, depending on what the criteria mm-hmm. would have been. Like, if it was stand the test of time, I don't know what would have knocked becoming off. Mm. But if it's a question of, I think any of the stronger literary fiction books could have knocked becoming off, even with stand the test of time, because I feel like she wrote something that will become a history book at some point, which I think will stand the test of time. Just I the way she I mean, imagine that up against something like... Becoming against Nick Boys, you mean? Yeah, like if somehow that ended up being a matchup. Mm-hmm. It's likely that it would have. Yeah, I don't know. I think that Daisy Jones and the Six would have been eliminated. Mm-hmm. I think Crawdads would have been eliminated. I think Crawdads would have been eliminated. What was that going up against? Oh, Trust Exercise. Trust Exercise? Mm. Yeah, I think Crawdads probably would have been eliminated in a, a different round. I don't know that it would have been eliminated with Trust Exercise. No, I think that it would have beat Trust Exercise and then I think it would have been eliminated. Right. I had problems with Crawdad. Yeah, I don't know. So we can only speculate. I'm not sure. What was the other? I think, yeah, I think some of them would have been tough conversations. Some of them would have been tough conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Well, we thank you guys for voting and taking the time to to consider these books. So maybe next year we'll be more successful. We'll be more successful. Yeah. All right. Well, back to nothing. (laughs) I guess they're going to go make dinner now. Back to the void. Back to the void. All right. Well, next time we're going to talk about all the series and movies that are based on books that we think are worthy of your time and worthy of taking your mind off some things so right right whether you read the book or don't before you watch you know depends on how much you want to invest but hopefully the tv or movie will be transporting and kind of take your mind off things for a little while so until then happy reading we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the readerly report you can find all of our shows on itunes or at thereaderlyreport.com Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us.